Good morning. Good to see all of you this morning. Uh, my name is Stan Gale. I'm a temp filling in for Max uh, while he is on sabbatical, which won't be much longer. I need to get this to. All right, we are in uh, the book of James, an epistle, a letter of the New Testament. And if you would turn somehow to James chapter 5, our text will be verses 7 through 12. Let's give ear to the reading of God's holy, inspired, inerrant, and infallible word. Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and the late rains. You also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remained steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. But above all, my brothers, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no be no, so that you may not fall under condemnation. This ends the reading of the very word of the living God. The title of this morning's message is Patient in Affliction. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, as we open your word, we ask that your spirit would open our minds to understand it, open our hearts to receive it, and direct our wills to put it into practice. In the name and for the glory of Jesus Christ, our Lord, we pray. Amen. Trials tend to keep us in uh, the moment. They command our energy and our attention to deal with them. Um, as, or as a friend of mine might, might put it, uh, they take up a large portion of our bandwidth. You know, so we don't have a lot of energy and time to deal with other things because trials can impose themselves upon us. Uh, throughout, though, James has helped us in that moment of trials. He's helped us in handling our trials and also in handling ourselves, managing ourselves in trials, which is a big part of dealing with trials. And now, as James uh, winds down his letter, he draws us away from just the moment to take a look at the bigger picture that encompasses the moment. James uses the word in verse 7, of what I read, uh, he says, therefore. He uses the word therefore. And therefore is a word that does two things. Uh, one, it builds on what has been said 
therefore builds on what has been said and then takes it and goes on to give a consequence or a conclusion related to what has been said. So, when James says, therefore, what is he building on? Is he building on the immediate context uh, where he has just talked, as we saw last week, to the rich? He's addressed the rich. Or perhaps he's also talking to uh, us about planning, because if you recall the section on planning at the end of chapter 4, and the section on the rich at the beginning of chapter 5, both begin with the words, come now. And so it kind of ties them together. But it seems like James is doing more than that. It seems like he's giving us a bigger picture because he turns from talking to a particular group to now speak of brothers. In other words, he starts, he backs up and talks to a larger audience. And that's how he began his letter by addressing brothers. Now, by brothers, he's talking about the family of God, believers, men and women, brothers and sisters in Christ. So he's moved from talking to narrowly the rich, with application to us, of course, but to the larger audience. So when it seems, it seems that when James says, therefore, He is not just talking about the things that he has just mentioned in the immediate context. Rather, what he is doing as he addresses brothers, the way he began the letter by addressing brothers, is he is encompassing all that he has written, all that he has said in his letter. So when he says, therefore, the... the, uh, the, uh, the, what it builds on, what what therefore builds on, when he says therefore, he's looking at all the... So in other words, what James is doing is he is looking us in the eye and he is bringing all that he has written home to us as he's talked to us about trials and about the need for wisdom in trials and about the need for obedience and for loving our neighbor as ourselves, all of these things, the use of our tongue, he's bringing it all home to us with this word, therefore. Now, if therefore is a connecting word that builds on something and then drives it home, brings it home, what could James possibly say that would carry the weight of the entire letter? Basically, James sums it up in a word, and that word is patience. James calls for patience. In fact, he expresses it as a command when he says in verse 7, be patient, therefore, brothers. So this morning, James wants to impress upon us the importance of patience in affliction. And we'll explore his message under three headings. First, God calls us to patience in affliction. God calls us to patience in affliction. Verse 7, Be patient, therefore, brothers, 
until the coming of the Lord. All right, now what is patience? What does patience mean? Well, it means we, we wait. It means we bear with things as we wait. It's kind of like you're trying to teach one of your kids to do something, and you could do it much faster than they're in, but you want to be patient. You want to give them space to be able to learn and to grow. And that's patience as we abide with something, as we wait. Now, in trials, we can be patient. We're called to be patient in trials, but we can be patient in different ways. Uh, we can put up with something, and we're going through a trial, we can put up with it, resign ourselves to it, kind of just tough it out, you know, grin and bear it, that kind of thing. But James has called us to more, hasn't he? He called, when we encounter trials of various kinds, he calls us to more than resigning ourselves to it. He calls us to what? Rejoice in our trials. Rejoice to consider it all joy when we encounter trials of various kinds. Why? Well, this is going way back to the beginning of this series. He says, because you know. We consider it. That's a work of the mind, right? When we, because you know certain things. Again, a work of the mind. That perspective, that lens that we bring to bear to understand and to deal with trials in a way that honors God and serves His purposes. How do we know? Well, what James has talked about all along, we know by faith. It's the way faith works. Faith has the perspective that sees God in the thick of things. Hebrews 11 is famous for faith because it's full of examples of faith of all these saints of the Old Testament. All these believers who pressed on in anticipation and expectation. And their patience... In Hebrews 11, all these believers, their patience was full of hope. And that's how we're to live with patience, when we exercise patience. Our patience needs to be powered by hope. Now, the writer of Hebrews says, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. We might think of hope as the lithium battery to our uh, uh, to our patients. The thing is, is that unlike lithium batteries now, it never needs to be recharged because the faith that we have is a living hope powered by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Well, James gives us an illustration of patience. Going on in verse 7, he says, See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early rains and the late rains. And he gives us this illustration of, of a farmer. Now, again, let me go to a kid example. Let's say you've got a four-year-old, and uh, you're going to do some gardening with your four-year-old, four and so you take some watermelon seeds and you go and you plant them with the four-year-old till the soil and plant it and all that. And then the next morning, what's the four-year-old going to want to do? 
I want to go out and see it. I want to go out and see what's happening. And that's when you explain it doesn't work like that. We need patience. But you see what's, what's driving, what's, boiling, what's bubbling underneath is this expectation. And that's the kind of patience that our God wants us to employ. All right, James talks about being patient, and he gives us a time frame. What is that? Well, it said in verse, beginning of verse 7, Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. That's where he points us. He points us to the return of Jesus. And that really sums up our hope, doesn't it? It, it sums up the bigger picture that James is trying to bring to bear as we deal with the moment in which we find ourselves wrestling with the trial. The bigger picture. The day when our Lord Jesus returns in glory and makes all things new. You know, right now in this world, we can be weighed down. Our knees buckle, our shoulders sag under the weight of the difficulties of this life. Disease and injustice and affliction. But, but our Lord Jesus right now, not just then, not when he returns, but right now, our Lord Jesus has come and he has inaugurated his kingdom. In fact, Jesus, to go with this farmer analogy, he speaks of it as a seed, a mustard seed that is growing to fill the entire earth. And when he comes again, that kingdom that has been inaugurated will be consummated. And there will be no more death or trials or affliction or suffering or sorrow or pain. So James does not merely give us a time frame for the trials that we find ourselves in at the moment. He gives us a harvest frame, an end point when the expected harvest will be gathered and enjoyed. And so in his letter throughout, and he does now, James looks at us in the eye, weighed down with sin and grief and pain, and he tells us to be patient. And he says it again, verse 8. He's just talked about the farmer, the patience of the farmer, and he says in verse 8, you also, brothers, sisters, be patient. Now, how do we do that? How do we exercise patience right now in light of the glory to come that is the bigger picture that James wants us to see. Well, James gives us two ways, a what to do and a what not to do. Both of those are helpful. The first is what to do. Verse 8, you also be patient. Establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand. You see what James is telling us? Basically, he's telling us when we're to be patient in affliction, he's telling us to hold our ground, to stand firm, 
to hold true to our God and what he has said, to hold fast to the truth of the gospel. Because we will not be disappointed. The harvest will come, our patience will be rewarded, and our faith will be sight. James is calling us, remember, faith is not just in faith. Faith rests in something. Faith trusts in something. And what James is telling us is that he wants our eyes at all times, good, bad, and ugly, to fix our eyes on Jesus, to look to him and to lean on him, to live for him. All right, that's what to do, this, uh, to establish our hearts, not what not to do. Verse 9, do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. You know, Paul, in his letter uh, to the Philippians, he said he learned the secret of being content in any and every circumstance. That, that's the whole gamut, right? The secret of being content. What is that secret? I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And isn't that what James has been, he's been trying to wire our thinking that way? He said to us, if the Lord wills, we, we will do this. That's to be, that needs to be our mentality. He's tried to get us to understand that what happens in our lives, the difficulties, the afflictions, as well as the joys, they all come to us from the hand of our God, traced upon our dial by the Son of love. He's tried to get us to say, well, we need in these things to ask for wisdom, which means that we keep our eyes on God. So James has tried, I don't know how we can be very slow learners sometimes, I'm speaking for myself as well, but he's trying to wire us so that we can think and act and live this way with a vibrant, pulsating faith in Jesus Christ. So patience in affliction fully embraces the word our Lord Jesus has for us in John 16, where he says, in this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. That's how we live. All right, God calls us to be patient in affliction. Secondly, God assures us of the outcome of our faith. God assures us of the outcome of our, of our faith. In true pastoral fashion, James gives us these uh, illustrations and examples so that he takes the lesson that he has for us and he drives it home in a way that we can understand, that makes sense, that becomes real for us. Here, he holds up two examples. First, he points to the prophets of old. The prophets of old. Now, uh, well, let me read the text first. Verse 10. As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Now, prophets are not just those uh, people who predicted things. Prophets did predict, predict things, and it was and that's an important part of their ministry. But the role of prophet was broader than that. Prophets 
were the mouthpiece of God. They were the way that God spoke into the lives of people. Mouthpieces of God. More often than not, prophets were not well received. They, and they were not just ignored, but they were afflicted. Jesus, in the Sermon on the Mount, said this, They persecuted the prophets who were before you. Again, looking at the writer of Hebrews, in this emphasis on faith, speaks of those who are used by God, and this would include prophets. He says this, Some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed with a sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, and mistreated. These, my friends, are the examples that James holds up for us of suffering and patience as they persevered, these prophets. Second, James points us to what might be, I'm sure it it is the prime example of suffering. Verse 11, Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. Job, he suffered extreme devastation. In the blink of an eye, the life that he knew was taken away. His possessions, his children and their family, his health, his reputation, everything gone. How did Job respond? Job responded in a very human way. When you read his words, you find that he was confused. And why, why is this happening? Hurting, grieving, angry. But overriding Job's very human struggle were these two declarations of faith. A declaration of faith that was one we can consider today and the other one a tomorrow declaration or a seed declaration, and a harvest declaration. The today one is this. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Job resolved to handle it that way. But here's the tomorrow declaration. I know that my Redeemer lives. And at the last, He will stand upon the earth, and after my skin has been thus destroyed, yet in my flesh, I shall see God. So James holds up these two examples, the prophets and what they went through. Job and what he went through. He holds them up to give us an example by seeing them, but even more so, James holds them up as an encouragement for us to see God.
Look at verse 11 again. Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. You have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. See what James is pointing us to? He's saying, blessed are those who remain steadfast. He's saying, blessed are those who persevere. Blessed are those who endure. Blessed are those who press on in the name of the Lord. For they shall be blessed. James is telling us that our faith in God will not be disappointed. It will not come up empty. How can we be so certain? Well, James answers that question of how we can be certain in two ways. One, he reminds us of the purpose of the Lord. That's what he says here in verse 11, the purpose of the Lord. God's purpose has never been thwarted. It has never been derailed. It has never been unrealized. God's purpose stands firm, and His purpose governs all that comes to pass. So James reminds us of the purpose of God, and it is sure. Second, he reminds us of the character of God. Here he describes God how? God is compassionate and merciful. Now, to those prophets of old who, were go- who were, went through all the abuse that they did, it might seem to the contrary, doesn't it? But we're reminded that God is compassionate and merciful. To Job, with his children, devastation. It seems to the contrary, doesn't it? But God is compassionate and merciful. Or maybe the trials you're going through, and you're a, you, are, you know God as Father. God has brought you to saving faith in Jesus Christ and enfolded you into his family so that you know him as Father. And you go through these things and you, it seems to the contrary. But faith tells you that God is compassionate and merciful. And if you ever doubt that, all you need to do is look at the cross. As the hymn writer puts it, and when I think that God, his son not sparing, sent him to die, I scarce can take it in. That on the cross, my burden, gladly bearing, he bled and died to take away my sin. God's purpose and his character are displayed to the utmost on the cross. All right, God calls us to patience and affliction. Secondly, God assures us of the outcome of our faith. And the second, I mean, third heading, I'm labeling TBD, to be determined. And I'm holding back on giving us a heading. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to read the text, and I'd like you to come up with a heading. I'm going to read the text, and I'd like you to figure out, say something that, that enfolds, uh, 
James' flow of thought. Okay? Where was the text? But above all, my brothers, do not swear, either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no be no, so that you may not fall under condemnation. You know what a non-sequitur is? If ever there was a non-sequitur, it is this. It seems random, just like it's thrown in there. I mean, here's James. He's talking, he's just talked to us about suffering. And then uh, in verse 13, which is the first verse of our text for next week, he talks about suffering again. But, now, but then he throws this uh, teaching about O's right in the thick of things. And to make it even more confusing, not only does James introduce a seemingly random topic, he elevates it to a place of supreme importance. What does he say? But above all, my brothers. Here's this random thought, random verse, and it's held up as utmost importance. Peter, in his letter, he uses that same expression that James does. He says, above all. Peter says, above all, keep on loving one another. The thing is, that fits because it really is the crown to what Peter has been explaining in, in his letter. But James, when he says, above all, do not swear. It's like a piece from another jigsaw puzzle, got put in the wrong box. All right, what do we do with this? Well, I think if we squint, we can make it fit. You know, after all, James is talking about um, patience, right? And keeping vows, you know, keeping your word, that requires patience. Somehow it fits together, doesn't it? Or we know that James is very big on the tongue, right? On the words we use. And uh, this has to do with words. And he just talked about grumbling in verse 9. You know, the voice of grumbling. You know, his words, typically. You know, James, or maybe something else, James is called um, the Proverbs of the Old Testament. Well, when you look at the wisdom literature in the Old Testament, we see there are a number of things put in there about oaths and swearing and keeping our word. Maybe that helps fit. Or we've seen that James uh, makes many allusions to our Lord Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. And if we turn to the Sermon on the Mount, sure enough, we see Jesus teaching about not taking oaths. So maybe we squint. Verse 12 does belong in the same box. But it's hard to see where it fits without kind of forcing it. Here's what I think is going on. Throughout his epistle, James has alluded to the Sermon on the Mount. But in this case, Jesus is not just alluding to it. He is virtually quoting Jesus. In Matthew 5, the first chapter of the Sermon on the Mount, 
Jesus says, do not swear. At that time, he makes mention of heaven. He makes mention of earth, just as James does. And Jesus says this, let what you say be simply yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. You know, James, we're giving a political speech, and he made this quote. He would likely be charged with plagiarism. Hey, Jesus said that. This is what is happening, I think. I think that James is virtually quoting Jesus here at this point because he wants us to hear the voice of Jesus. Now, why is that important? What well, has to do with the way that he opened his letter? The very first chapter, first verse, James makes it clear that he is writing his letter in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. He is writing, representing Jesus Christ. And now here, as James is wrapping up his letter, remember in verse 7, we, we saw that the therefore in verse 7 didn't apply just to the immediate context, but embraced the entire letter, all that James had written. And now in verse 12, James uh, wants us to hear the voice of Jesus to emphasize this, that all that he has written in the entire letter comes from the mouth and with the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ in whose name he has written to the family of God. And that's why James can say, above all my brothers in other words reflect concerning all that i have said my brothers and that's what gives it the utmost importance that james assigns to it maybe or maybe james is just talking about us being true to our word but i wonder if he's not emphasizing that his word is true let me wrap up with this statement. Brothers and sisters, believers, saints of God, God wants you to be patient in the affliction that you are enduring, the trials you are facing. And your sufferings in these trials are real, and they are painful, and they are difficult but they are nothing compared to the glory that is to be revealed to you in Jesus Christ our Lord. Thus says the Lord. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much. You know us so well. You know our weakness. You know that we grow weary and we lose heart. And we thank you that you speak to us to bolster our faith, to shore us up, to encourage our spirits. So Lord, I pray that you would give us that deep knowledge of your presence with us and for us and for the hope that is ours in you, dear Jesus.
Amen.